This is a good Christian podcast with Britt Hodge. I got a fresh young guest with me today, but first, I just wanted to, this is the first episode, second season of the Good Christian Podcast. I was going to change the name, but it took too much work, honestly. Not that I'm lazy, but I would have had to delete and remake Instagram and Facebook and then send out invites. Please like my page. And I know when I get those, I'm like, oh, I don't really want to like this page. So it just gets to be a little bit awkward. And so I just said, you know, I don't, I guess I don't need to be on uh, iTunes because that's the only reason I was going to change the name. The Good Christian already exists on iTunes. And I thought it was such a unique name. I thought it was such a boring name that no one would have it, but someone had it. I couldn't believe it. Anyways, I'm here with the Topo Chico. That's a shameless plug that I don't get paid for. They're just amazing and delicious. If you don't drink them, try them. And listen to the other Good Christian podcasts. There's good ones. The idea for this podcast, just to go over uh, the reason that I started this, was one day one of my friends was in ministry school with me, shared about her past, and she got huge tremendous breakthrough and i thought man it would be amazing if the people that can't come to this school got to witness and be a part of uh this revelation and these breakthroughs that i'm seeing my friends get on a daily basis freedom from all sorts of things self-hatred depression addiction um hypersexualized culture and all the damage that does to people but I know that most of the world uh, either hasn't heard of this sort of uh, school or they can't get here. So I just thought it'd be amazing if I could just export what's going on here. So that's where the idea came from. Uh, I finally came to the conclusion not long ago that I was going to be done making a podcast. I thought that's it. The Lord gave me the breakthrough I needed from doing it. And then immediately I started getting messages and texts from these people that they said, are you, when are you going to make more? I had, I encountered the Lord during this one. And then they're asking, can they use this episode or that episode for their home groups and their, in their various countries around the world. So unbeknownst to me, it was making an impact. And that's because it's not about me. It was actually something the Lord wanted me to do. And so here I am back. I just got, I went and worked in Alaska over the summer super difficult super hard time i'll probably talk about that someday not today today i have an amazing young man that i met in ministry school he's actually 21 years old and has more wisdom now than i'll probably have ever so i thought it'd be great to get him on i tried to get him on last year things just didn't work out but here we are and go ahead and introduce yourself. What's up, Aiden? Hey, everyone. Hi, Britt. Um, yeah, my name's Aiden Daliwell. I'm 21 years old. I'm from the UK, from Birmingham in England. And uh, yeah, feel so honored to be on this podcast. Uh, really love Britt, really believe in him, what God's done in his life and all that's been happening on the podcast, all the messages that have been shared, testimonies. Um, and so, yeah, I feel so honored to be invited on and just want to honor you, Britt, for what you're doing here and just your heart to see people encounter the Lord Jesus and be free and to find their purpose in Christ. So thank you so much for having me, bro. Truly, it's my honor to have you. People, uh, young people like you give me hope that oh. my kids can someday have a testimony like yours and be walking with the Lord at your age. Obviously, if you know anything about my testimony, I wasn't walking with the Lord until three years ago. Actually, today is October 11th, 2020. On October 10th, 2017, 
I found out Jesus was real and it sent me on this crazy journey from drug addiction and self-hatred and suicidal thoughts and all the sins. And now I'm in my third year of ministry school and my life's never been better, but. Wow, praise God. Yeah, it's amazing and fun and life has never been better. It's true if you chase the Lord kingdom first and his righteousness um all the other things are added to you so i recommend uh, giving that a whirl out there in podcast land (laughs) (laughs) um i just wanted to say i heard your testimony we met not that long ago and discussed it and it was really amazing all the things that you've been through at such a young age but also, one of the things that keyed me into you, that made me remember you, the Lord uses small, weird things, but my favorite show ever is the Peaky Blinders. And so, <laughs> there, it's actually, I think it's either based in Birmingham or it's filmed there. I know it's based there, but maybe it's filmed there too. So anytime, I'm from Texas, I have never met an English person until I came here to ministry school. So every time I met met someone from the UK, I would always ask them, are you from Birmingham? Because that's how they say it in Peaky Blinders. I would ask everybody. (laughs) And I only ever met one person that said yes, and that was you. And I never forgot. It's like, dang, this dude lives where the Peaky Blinders live. This is so cool. That's so funny, man. Yeah, and that's my the theme tune of Peaky Blinders was my um I think it still is my ringtone on my phone at the moment. <laughs> so got nice. a double double whammy there. I want to go visit the streets of the Peaky Blinders one day. Hey, come on, you're welcome anytime. Nice. And this is just for the people listening. Maybe it doesn't sound good, the audio, but we do this over Zoom for many reasons. Uh one, COVID. Everyone's had it everyone's got it we're immune but it gave me this easy method to record podcasts so it's easy just to record it and then edit the audio then sit in the same room and try to hog a mic between two humans so enough of that i'm going to dive in i'm just going to ask you some questions i already said your age and your name but if you could repeat introduce yourself to everyone just like you were about to minister to a crowd full of people that would be super dope yeah so yeah hey everyone that's listening um yeah thank you for taking the time out of uh, your day to listen today but yeah my name is aiden daliwell i'm uh, 21 years old born and raised in the united kingdom yeah birmingham in england and uh, i'm actually indian heritage so my heritage is indian my parents their grandparents are Indian. Obviously, we're going to get into that as part of my kind of my story, my legacy. But um, yeah, Indian heritage, but born and raised in the UK. And um, yeah. Sweet. So, uh, your what generation? What was your heritage again? Did you just say? India. Indian. And what generation are you outside of that in the UK? Yeah, and so um, my grandparents um, actually were the first people to move to the United Kingdom from India. And um, my parents are actually, um, well, my mum was born in England. And my dad was actually born in India, but moved to the UK when he was one years old. So technically, yeah, I'm kind of like the second generation, you could say, Um born and raised in the UK and second generation Christian. My dad was the first one to become a Christian in our family. Oh bro, the the audio totally cut off on your end. Oh, okay. Can you hear me now? Oh, there you go. You're back. All right. So I was just wondering, I was asking, your dad was the first Christian in your family? Yeah. Tell me what it was like for him to convert from Sikhism to Christianity and why did he have an encounter? Uh, And actually, 
fill me in a little bit on what Sikhism is because I don't even really remember. Yeah. Oh man, this is a privilege. Yeah, I always come alive when I when I share this part of um, my the story because yeah, it's kind of my heritage and my um, yeah, honestly, my my story. And so, basically, Sikhism is one of the main um, religions in India. It literally means to be a disciple. The word Sikh means to be a disciple or a learner. It's basically one of the largest. Uh, religions in India is founded in northern India in the 15th century um, by Guru Nanak. So he's like one of the main gurus that um, the Sikh um, followers of Sikhism actually follow. And so, yeah, essentially my family, um, a Sikh, um, and my dad, born and raised, um, well, born in, in Punjab, India, but moved to the UK when he was one years old. And um, Long story short, I have, you know, have an amazing family, really loving family, but um, the Sikh religion, especially in the, well, the 1960s or so, it's quite a strict, it's quite a strict religion in that, um, like, to kind of, you know, move or convert to a different religion is quite a big deal, um, even now, but especially in those days, um, and so, essentially, my dad, and there's many factors, as to why, but basically by the age of 19, he uh, was in, um, had severe depression, many factors, just life, um, family, um, religion, experience of life, ended up being in severe depression in a psychiatric hospital, having something called ECT, which is actually, I think it's electric shock therapy, where they give you electric shocks to your head um, for a therapy because the depression can be that serious. And so that's crazy. He was, I mean, I'm 21. He's 19 when this is happening. So literally a generation ago, this is happening. But age 19, he's in that state. And he begins to say, he begins to say, you know what? Okay, where is this God? Where is this Sikh God? Now that I am, um, you know, in this position. Where is this Sikh God? Um, you know, I'm kind of struggling right now. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, my life is, is looking really awful. Like, I want to see the Sikh God break through into my life. And he said, you know, if there is a God out there and you answer me right now, I will give my life to you and I'll follow you because I don't really, I don't want it. I don't have anything worth living for. And so he began to cry out to all these different gods, begin to pray to these different gods, begin to pray to Buddha, begin to pray to Muhammad, Allah, begin to pray for uh, pray to Harry Krishna, all these different gods from different um, different main religions. Um, but then he cried out to Jesus. And what I find fascinating about crying out to Jesus is you're an Indian, um, born and raised in an Indian home. Your exposure to Jesus, apart from hearing it about it, maybe in a religious education class, is pretty minimal. But he ends up crying out to Jesus. And he has an encounter with Jesus Christ, like an actual encounter where he was praying and he saw, um, felt a blinding light come into the room. And he, uh, and he saw, saw a blinding light and heard an audible voice that said, my son, everything is going to be okay with you. And after that moment, his life totally changed. A couple of the examples of that was that um, in Indian culture, having a high work ethic is a really big deal. And so he began to say to the doctors, like, when am I going to be able to work again? And the doctors said, work, are you crazy? You're not going to be out of this place within two years, let alone work. Don't even think about that. That will take your mind into a greater place of you know, depression. And, um, but after the encounter with Jesus, he was out of that hospital, working again in two weeks. He went back home to his, you know, his mother, my grandma. And, you know, you can imagine um, kind of, you know, going home to renounce your religion, especially in a culture where that is very strict and kind of that has serious consequences. You know, you can be, you know, in some court cases, you know, excommunicated from the family, removed from, you know, relationship. And it definitely was um, leaning more towards that end back in those days, 60s, 50s, 60s. So you can imagine the stakes. Um, but one of my favorite stories, um, that is verified by my father and even my grandma is that 
um, they were in the kitchen, you know, he got back and he said, you know, mom, um, obviously my grandma, he calls her, I call her Bibi, um, which means that grandma in India and mom. But um, yeah, he said like, mom, I know it's going to break your heart. I know it's going to sound crazy, but I gotta tell you, Jesus is real. Jesus is God. Jesus is the living God. Look what happened to me. Look what happened. And she's kind of like, what, Jesus? What are you talking about? You know? And all of a sudden they hear a smash and they run into the living room and my grandma's living room um, is full of like, it's a small living room, but it's full of different frames and pictures of different gods and family members and different things. Um, but what happened in that moment was my uh, grandma had the main frame of the God, um, sorry, the guru I was just telling you about, Guru Nanak, the one who founded the religion in the 15th century. Um, was hanging on the wall. The main frame of that Guru Nanak had smashed. It smashed all over the floor in that moment. Remember, that's been there 20 years or so. And when they had that conversation, walking to the living room and it smashed all over the floor. And so many things like that began to happen where, um, yeah, God began to break into, yeah, our family. My mom was in a relationship with my dad, saw that what happened in his life, the depression and the transformation. And she became a Christian. She was a a part of the Sikh religion as well. And so, yeah, you could say a mini kind of outbreak of God began to happen in our family, where um, to this day, not there's still a lot of family members that are belong to the Sikh religion and we're in great relationship and really love each other and really believing in my heart that, you know, um, that they would receive the gospel of Jesus. But from that, many people, many of my family are Christians to this day that love Jesus and are raising their families um in christ and so yeah that's kind of a bit of my family legacy which is really awesome yeah that's so legit jesus broke in and smashed nenak's picture it's pretty hardcore <laughs> yeah you could say that yeah that's awesome so <clears throat> so was your mom a christian when your mom and dad met no she was um, belonged to a sikh religion as well above yeah so whenever they met or actually where did they meet so they met at college they met at college and um, like um which is kind of yeah kind of like high school in america similar age i think they're about um 17 18 and uh yeah my dad they met i think uh, from what i remember they met in like the lunch line and my dad, my dad, I think literally the line he used to my mom was literally asked her if she was married in the lunch line, dude. And my mom said yes, just a joke to kind of get away from him. Um, but they ended up um, actually getting married. What is that process like for someone in Sikhism? Uh, to to be with a Christian was she like you need to convert back and he was like no you need to convert or did she have an encounter with the Lord what was that like no so remember they were actually both Sikhs at the time when they met and so the big reason why my mom became a Christian was because they were both Sikhs and my mom saw the, the process that happened my dad's depression my dad's state saw the change that Jesus had done in his life and from that said, I want to follow Jesus too. I want to follow this God who is saving, who is real, who is moving, who is setting people free. Um, and his power is on display. Like things were happening in my, my family. The same cousins um, that were doing, um, you know, um, crazy stuff with my dad. Um, you know, they would, they would get up to no good and they'd get up to, no, um, get up to trouble together. Those same cousins. You know, my dad would go up to them and say, guys, I know you're going to say I'm crazy. I know you're going to call me crazy, but I've got to tell you, Jesus is God. And they would say, we know. And he would say, what do you mean we know? You're meant to be telling me I'm crazy and off my head right now, you know? But they would say, no, there is a light coming off of your face. Just this beaming light, this radiant light. And we have to follow um, Jesus, the one Jesus you're following. And so crazy things were happening in our family. And that, to the day, those, some of those cousins, 
that to my dad are still Christians as well to this day. And so God was really moving. So I think my mom saw the transformation that happened and wanted to follow Jesus too. Yeah, that's so amazing. Sorry, I just assumed for some reason that your dad was single whenever he was going through all that stuff. But that's so, so cool, man. That's a that's a big deal to leave your generational religion for Christianity. Jesus yeah. Jesus is real. And I wanted to know, you know, fast forward a little bit to uh your testimony. Yeah. And and I know you walked with the Lord your whole life, but I guess if you were talking to someone listening to this and you wanted to help them get breakthrough in a way, could yeah. you um just start off how you would minister to them and, and lead us a little bit into your testimony? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Yeah, for me, very unique. I mean, not unique, but I think just very interesting, you know, having that family legacy where God's broken through into our generation, has chosen to break through into many generations of Sikhism and family members in Sikhism, but decided to break through into my dad, my and that's where he started the lineage of Christianity. I find that fascinating. But my dad, there's a big story, but he ended up, I mean, he still is now. It's a lot smaller, but he ended up went to, on to pastor a church um, down in Birmingham. And so I grew up in a great Christian home. You know, um, I didn't actually go to my dad's church when I was very young. Um, no reason, bad reason for that at all. It's just um, my dad didn't have a youth group at the time when I was about eight years old or so. And so my dad really, you know, he wanted me and my younger sister to grow up in a strong youth group and a strong um, church with a youth group. And so we ended up going to a church, um, a phenomenal church, my home church back in England, where um, there's like, I think I started when I was about eight years old with about 30 people in a school building that we used to meet in. And then now God's doing phenomenal things there in about um, 700, 800 people in the West Midlands meeting and God's doing some really amazing things and I got to grow up and be part of that so I grew up in a Christian home you know so my um my mother my father and um who loved the Lord and saw him you know provide for us um and saw what you know what God was doing in our family and, and always loved loved God really um wanted always had a desire from a young age to please god and even grew up in church and had was definitely started to become involved in ministry from a young age you know i think just what god has placed on my life just um honestly a yeah just a gift um to minister in the ministry and i think people recognize that and i think from a young age we're going to grow up and be um um yeah honestly yeah like um mentored believed in and so i was involved from a young age i was kind of that kid who um you know no no malintention but just loved loved church loved sunday school loved like you know there'd be a competition who can memorize the most who can memorize all the books in the bible in order the first kid to do it is going to get all the chocolates and it's going to have a like a rap battle in front of the whole church with the pastor and see if he can memorize the books of the Bible. And that was me. Next week, bam, I'd be there, you know, memorizing all the books, getting the chocolate. <laughs> can you do a version of the rap battle for us right now? <laughs> I can't. It wasn't. A, I mean, it wasn't a rap battle. It was like what's a better word? Like a um, like a like a battle off, you know, where one would say one book and then you just go next, 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 and see if you can keep doing it. And so um, that was kind of what it was like, but. Nice. Do you still remember all the books because of that thing? Uh, I can't do the Old Testament. I think I probably can do the New Testament now, but I can't do the Old Testament. I, sh I should be able to do that. Um, but I miss those days, man. Yeah, maybe that's something we can uh, put into place when we go back to school. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. But um, where was I at? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, so kid memorizing the stuff, grew up in church, loved the Lord, um, and definitely became, you know, like an example in the church as like, you know, the the young person that 
you know, was a young Christian that you kind of wanted to look like. And I didn't know that was maybe a, no one intentionally put that tag on me, but I suppose underlyingly it was like, I, I was the example Christian kid that, you know, God was flowing through and using and, and had his hand on his, um, God's hand was on my life. And so I grew up in church, um, but the only thing is, and I think this is a massive part of kids that grow up in church, is that there is a massive difference between knowing about God and knowing God. That's the famous phrase. It says, you know, um, standing at McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, just like standing in church doesn't make you a Christian. And so that was honestly... Um, a big part you know as human beings we are made for intimacy there is a part I like to call it like the God-shaped hole there's a hole in every single one of our heart for intimacy uh, to be known to belong to be valued by God by the presence of God and we were made that way God designed us for connection relationship with him he designed us to be needing him and so if you don't get that need met with what it was meant to be met by God, because you still have that hole, you would depend, you were made for intimacy, you will turn to other things. It's a natural product of being made for intimacy. If you don't find the source of it, you will turn to something to get that need met, even if it's authentic or it's in a pseudo format. And so for me, I didn't go off the rails or anything. But growing up in a, in church and not having an encounter with God for myself or where God became real to me in my heart, where that, that, that void was being filled, because um, I knew a lot about God. I knew a lot um, about the Christian life, and I loved it. I really did love God. I wanted to please him, but I didn't, I didn't encounter his presence. And so for me, the big thing that... Um, I was introduced to a young age around the age of 11 was pornography, um, introduced to that in high school. And um, as a young, you know, kind of naive, uh, innocent child, I didn't know about that then. But looking back, I was like, wow, I didn't know that. But watching pornography as an 11 year old naive boy was my that hole in my heart for intimacy, to belong, to have connection was being filled, was being filled by this pseudo form of intimacy called pornography. And so I grew up and I began to, yeah, honestly began to be kind of become addicted to this pornography, began to be addicted to the sensation of watching pornography. And um, and it, it was a crazy, honestly, a crazy time in my life because I didn't know how to explain it then. I ask you a quick question. Yeah, go ahead. I was just wondering, like, there a lot of the things that I got into uh, as as a kid were things that I was sheltered from, and I had no clue that they existed uh, within my, uh, you know, I guess in my bubble of life in my small town. And once I found out they did exist there, they kind of, it was just there. You know, you learn about it in health class, but I thought, Drugs only exist like in New York City or in the movies. And then, boom, I find out one day drugs exist in my hometown. Might as well try it. So mm. leading up to, to you said that you were exposed to porn when you were 11. Uh, I would like to know how that happened. Like, did a kid bring it to school or what? And I would also like to know, were you insulated from pornography did you know about it had you heard about it did your parents try to teach against it was your church talking about it anything like that or was it totally a foreign thing that just appeared in your life one day and you found yourself watching it as a like you said a naive 11 year old boy yeah great question great question yeah so my story i think honestly would be a classic example i wouldn't be surprised if you heard this from a lot of Christian boys that grew up in church is that I had no idea, no idea what pornography was. I grew up very sheltered from that, um, had amazing parents, but just never had conversations about those things. And in church, never really heard about that. And so it's totally foreign to me. I remember 
honestly remember it was on like the football field, you know, young, crazy, naive boys discovering life, adventures, um, life just being shown it on uh, like a one of the phones, an iPhone phone by um, a fellow, like, you know, friend at school. And it sparks that curiosity as a young boy to find out what the, on earth you just saw and what it was and why it made you feel a certain way. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I was, I was asking mainly because I grew up, obviously, um, you know, over a decade older than you. The first time I saw porn, I think I was like seven or eight. And it was Jeez, a bunch of playboys that some someone had thrown away. And, and me and my brother and our friends were just into everything. Looking at everything, climbing trees, looking in the trash can, you know, doing things crazy like that all the time. And we just found a playboy in there. And yeah, like you said, you don't know what you're looking at, but it makes you feel a certain kind of way. And then... Uh, and then someone at school come and educate you a little bit more. Well, that's porn. There's a lot more of it on the internet. And then you find out more and more about it. And it's kind of like, uh, mm. just creeps up on you. You're totally un not expecting it. So yeah, I would just like to hear more about how you got over that because I know, uh, your family pretty conservative. Now, now they're Christians, pretty conservative. You don't talk about porn or anything like that so just tell me what that process was like for you like discovering it all the way up to when you realized it was an actual problem that needed to be dealt yeah, with yeah, yeah. or maybe like you lost control or something yeah great question yeah i love that i think just to start off with like my parents were great parents honestly like i don't think they ever wanted to hide me from it i just think they um in their walk and their journey in life had never known how to deal with it or known how to bring it up i just don't think they were educated to be able to teach their children about it so i, I really give no fault to my parents i just think it's a common story where parents i think it's a, a lot of things are happening now a lot of parents are educated in these areas and the church are you know becoming more vulnerable to talk about these things but just from my experience it wasn't talked about and so um and what I think uh, um, is crazy is that, yeah, I just began to grow up and began to watch it. And as you said, um, immediately, and I think this is where sometimes some of us have an innate, we have, well, not some of us, we have like an innate feeling of what's right or wrong. Immediately I had no idea what I was watching, but I just knew it wasn't right. I knew deep down I was watching and I was like, I wouldn't show this to my mom if she was in the room. Or I wouldn't want my dad sitting next to me. I wouldn't want Jesus sitting next to me while I'm watching this. Um, so you knew it was wrong, but there was something that was tugging your heart and filling that void in your heart. And as like what I was saying is that I was getting an intimacy with no commitment and it was um, gratification, but with no covenant. And so remember, God created sex in the boundaries um, with boundaries, not to protect fun, not, not to stop people having fun, but for people to experience life. You know, fire is very powerful, but if you take that out of the containment of safety, of boundaries, it can cause a lot of damage. And that's the same with sex. God did the same to protect the power of sex because there's outside of the boundaries of it, it can cause a lot of destruction. And so, for me, you know, began watching it and beginning to become addicted to it because that hole in my heart was being filled for an instantaneous moment of being known, of being seen, of being valued. And so I grew up, um, you know, didn't share this with anyone, didn't tell my dad or my mom, didn't talk to uh, people at church. The reason why is because I'm growing up and no one's talking about it. And the massive thing is, and I can guarantee you, if you talk to most Christian boys, men, and a lot of women today, um, pornography is not talked about. And therefore, what's not talked about is basically hidden. And so when something is hidden, there's shame attached to it. When nothing's talked about, it's like, whoa, if I talk about this, there's shame attached to it. 
And when the shame attached to it, you feel like you're the only one going through that. You're the only one who has this problem. And so you're afraid if you bring this up and you talk about it, you're going to be rejected. You're going to be, you know, um, misunderstood. You're going to be um, lowered, lowered down on the Christian ladder for having this problem that no one else is going through. And everyone else is thinking the same thing. And so for me, grew up no, I didn't really hear much people talking about it. I didn't hear parents or leaders um, being vulnerable and sharing these things that are actually common that people are going through. And so for me, I attach shame to that. And I realized, oh my gosh, I don't want to tell anyone because I have this thing going on, but I'm, I'm scared if I bring it up, I'm going to be rejected. And especially when you're growing up in church, and especially when you're a leader in the church and you're leading and you're an example, that I began to have a lot of guilt and a lot of condemnation that I am like this person who is following Jesus, who's like an example Christian, you know, doing lots of things at church, doing all these things um, from like, you know, youth nights and speaking and worshiping and like doing loads of things. But... And so there's an expectation that people are following me as an example, but I know deep down I'm not living a way that's pleasing to God. I'm, I'm not I'm living according to what God's saying. And that was causing me a lot of guilt and shame because I knew that I would, it doesn't matter when I go home, it doesn't matter how many people said I'm amazing, I go home with me. And when you're home alone, the devil will bash you and he'll say, oh, you're so guilty. Oh, if people knew that you did this, oh, if people know what you were like. And it doesn't just, go for pornography this can go for anything anything because at the end of the day sin always has a root sin is not any is in in and of itself the issue but it's the root pornography the root of that is people have not experienced intimacy have not experienced the reality of love and so did you have something to say yeah i was just going to say that's really true what you said about shame and how you always feel like you're the only one that's going through it. I remember in first year of ministry school, uh, they would say sins uh, are things you've been through, things that you would assume, you know, years you've hidden because you don't want anyone to know. Like stand up on your chair if you've ever had suicidal thoughts. And the first thought in my head is, you know, if you've ever actually thought about committing suicide or something. And the shame is immediately there to keep you sitting in your seat. Uh, legs won't move. And then you see that first brave person stand on their chair. And then, you know, half or three quarters of a room full of people in ministry school stand on their chairs. And you realize, oh, dang, shame does make you think that this, I'm the only person that this is happening to. I'm less than. I'm worse than them. I've got to be the worst person in the room, but that's actually never the case. So yeah, I believe what you're saying, super powerful. You got to be vulnerable. You got to talk about it. You got to talk about the tough things. And I think that's a very important move for the church to do going forward to figure out how to talk about issues like porn uh, more openly and with much less shame attached to it. But yeah, I just thought I would remind you of that time in first year we used to stand on chairs and turns out you know a third or half of us all did these sins that we thought we were the only ones in the world that thought that way so yeah that was an interesting point on your part and it's so true bro you're so right i love that you mentioned that because as you remember there's so many examples where the first person to stand up and share it would take a while for that first person, but as soon as someone shared, the next thing you know, there's person after person after person after person. Why? Because people realize, oh my gosh, there's other people going through the same thing. And so for me, yeah, I grew up, and I suppose I'll kind of roll on, um, but yeah, a beautiful thing happened in my life where um, I kind of got to the age where um, I was kind of, you know, making decisions for my life, and I just realized, like, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I can't live like this. I can't. I really loved God and still, you know, I didn't run away from him. But this thing was really affecting me. And I ended up saying to God, I said, you know what, Lord, 
like I can't do this anymore. I know that I'm living in a way that's not pleasing to you, that is, you know, hypocritical, that um, is causing me pain and causing others around me pain. And um, and I said, I said, Lord, I need to encounter you for myself. Like I can't ride off um, like anyone else is like, you know, um, you know, belief system or faith. Um, but I need to have an encounter for myself. I need to know the God that I know a lot about because there's a big difference between knowing you and knowing about you. And so I began to say to God, I said, you know what, Lord, I need to encounter your presence for myself. Uh, and if I do, I will give you my life. I will follow you with my life. And if not, I can't do this anymore. I would rather, um, you know, live for who I am than pretend. And I said, if not, then I'm just going to go all the way out. And I'm just, I don't want to really do this anymore. The whole following the Jesus, Christian church ministry thing. And so, you know, by the grace of God, this was so special because my story is unique. And I suppose that we'll share afterwards, giving some like, you know, encouragement to the people. But I remember I just began to sit and it was, I, I, I remember one time I was just, I said, I was spending time with God. I want, you know, I was, I was seeking after, you know, God becoming real to me. And I didn't have anything crazy happen. No crazy, um, you know, experience or like a vision or dream or anything. Um, but what happened was I remember sitting there and all I can explain the sensation is that it was like, you know, that feeling when you're at the beach and you hear waves crashing over each other. It's like I had that experience, but it was going through my being. It was like waves of this presence, waves of this feeling of love that was going through my being. And I remember literally after experiencing that, everything began to change in my life and people would say how oh, Aiden how do you know that was God how do you know that was you know life-changing but what I would say my friends is that after that encounter after those experiences where the presence of God became real to me I remember opening the scriptures and it became real to me you know I was reading the things that I'd seen and heard millions of times but it became real I saw life through a different color the gospel the cross of Jesus the blood of Jesus that's paid for our sins, the reality of the love of God for, for humanity who are turning their back on God, that even though humans in, couldn't attain um, righteousness of their own, couldn't live a perfect life to obtain the standard that God has required in God's great love, sent himself because he knew the people us, we couldn't live that way. So he sent himself to grow up, to die on a cross, to live a stainless life, to pay the price for our sins, to pay the price for our sins, so that if we would believe in Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord and turn away from that lifestyle of sin, we could be saved, we could have eternal life. Like what an absolute scandal. What a scandal that God would do that. These things became real to me. And from that moment on, that addiction to pornography, broke off of my life in those moments and to this day I have never watched pornography to this day and so what I say by that is that those moments in my life those when that waves of the presence of God began to fill my being it was that void in my heart that fit that need for intimacy was being filled by the true source of what it was designed for and that was the presence of God the love of God began to fill my being and when that is filled, it's like cutting the root. When you cut the root, the fruit changes. You cut the root, the root, the source of my, me finding my intimacy, intimacy was found in Jesus Christ. It was not found in Instagram followers. It was not found in the amount of money I had. It was not found in uh, pornography or girls or business or opportunity, even though some of those things, you know, are good in, in and of itself, you know, like business and money all those things i said in and of itself aren't bad things um but i found my source in the presence of god and i didn't need pornography anymore because the intimacy was being filled by the presence of god and from that moment 
my life, you know, began to change. And I would say I would not recommend that process for anyone. I think that shows you the power of um, it, the the power of God, the power of Jesus Christ, that He can come in a moment and He can set you free. And I believe that people listening today, like who are dealing with issues and have things going on in their life, we believe that God, by His power, by the power of the Holy Spirit working today in the name of Jesus, people can be set free in a moment from things that have been going on for a long time. But at the same time, um, my story, I wouldn't recommend the same for others because um, like it took a long time, even though the pornography addiction broke off my life, there was definitely a process of the renewing of the mind that took place where, um, yeah, like, you know, like after when you kind of, a young person is warped with an over in an over sexualized culture you begin to your default settings are pretty warped in the way you see people the way you see females um in real life on instagram or in different places and so it definitely took a process of the renewing of my mind where i had to um you know dig into the truth about what god says about my purity what god says about my righteousness and begin to speak truth over myself begin to um, catch those thoughts that I'd have and those desires, pornography or whatever it was. And over time, my mind was renewed to the point where now I can say, you know, it'd be weird, weird it would be more weird for me to have a, a lustful thought um, than for me to live normally. When other, when, you know, enjoying that time, it'd be very common. It'd be weird to live a day where you wouldn't have a lustful thought. And if there is a process of the renewing of the mind, and I think there's an example of both, that God can set free in a moment. There's also a process of discipleship. And that's what I, you know, recommend. When I look back at my life, uh, I would say, you know, there is so much power in vulnerability, in accountability, in having people in your life who you trust, who can walk through that process with you, who can call you higher to your destiny, who you can share these things with who you know that won't judge you and reject you but i just didn't have that modeled when i was a young person and so i didn't know how to do that and so it's literally by god's grace that you know he set me free and i went on this process but when i look back i see there's so much power also in you know discipleship there's power and vulnerability and accountability and i think many people struggle with areas like pornography because they like we grow up in a culture especially a christian culture today where a lot of these things aren't talked about you know a lot of these things are you know kept hidden kept like not talked about we have this um attainable thing of perfection where we see our leaders or people we look up to never struggling so we think our struggles were the only one going through it the reality is lots of people are going through it and so as we take off the mask and as we live vulnerably with what is going on, we actually give people a place to bring things into the light. And the Bible says in First John that the things that you bring into the light will be exposed by the light. And many things, just by bringing them up in a safe environment, is where they can be dealt with by the power of God. But what remains hidden can be used and kept by the devil to, you know, to affect you and torment you. And so, for me yeah i i do believe that god is doing a great work in the church today where um these things are being talked about where people are sharing their processes and their weaknesses and people the everyday person who goes through things in life are realizing there are other people out there who actually deal with these things and through the power of god through the power of the holy spirit who breaks chains and addictions and through the beautiful process of accountability and discipleship and renewing your mind with the truth of who God's created you to be. People can be set free. It is not a, just a natural thing that people live with, but it can be free where you live in a lifestyle of purity. I can tell you now, like I haven't watched pornography since, and I am really glad the power of purity, living in a lifestyle of purity, knowing God's love, seeing people through the eyes of God's love, and who he's created them to be is a fulfilling, beautiful part of the Christian life, living in the power of purity and walking in his power and his purity both together.
Yeah, wow, Aiden. Normally I would ask someone to summarize and, and talk to talk to someone out there who may need help, but you did it so masterfully right there. You're such a good man and you carry purity literally uh, like no one else I know. And uh, you're also an evangelist, a preacher to be. You have a bright future. And I, I appreciate you coming on this thing and being vulnerable for us because your story is going to help others. I know that. I knew that from the first day that I met you. I'm glad I finally got to get you on here and talk to you. Is there any final words you want to add? Yeah, I'd love to quickly just, I mean, share a testimony just for people out there who, you know, either, I mean, it doesn't have to be pornography, but it can be anything or struggling with things in life to show you like some people might be like oh that's great Aiden that happens for you but how about me how does that work in my life and I just want to encourage you and say you know like it is possible for you to be set free from these things it doesn't have to be something that you just live with or like culture says this is just part of who you are you'll never be free from it like today you can be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit and through accountability and community. I remember one time I was like at a Christian youth camp and um, like I was actually a youth leader. Like I took our youth, I was one of the youth leaders and one of the nights they did like an altar call for these young people who were dealing with, you know, just either like anxiety and depression and struggling with like lust and pornography and loads of these kids stood up because they were in, you know, in a safe environment to stand up. And I remember the guy at the front, he said, if you're a youth leader, I want you to go around and I want you to pray for these um, young people, these teenagers. And I remember um, standing and praying for this one guy. And I'd probably been about six months free myself, six months to a year. This was about four years ago or so, four or five years ago. Um, yeah, around that time. And I remember praying for this guy and I remember God said to me i felt the holy spirit prompt me saying i want you to share your story in his ear of what i've done free you from pornography and set you on fire for me to preach the gospel of jesus christ to see a generation encounter true intimacy of god and to know their purpose and their calling and i felt him say i want you to tell him that so i was like i was a bit scared like oh god really i have to share this you know because i don't really shared it before and i remember sharing it to this guy and I remember him breaking down, crying, 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 crying as I shared this story. And I was like, wow, <laughs> wow, thankfully this isn't weird, but God's actually healing this guy. God's actually doing something really beautiful. And I remember sharing it. And anyway, he fell on the ground and was crying. And I thought I'd catch him up afterwards. And anyway, after the meeting ended, this woman ran up to me and said, wow, well, thank you. That was my son that you prayed for. And I said, really? And she said, yes, yes. He had amazing time. He had a lot of freedom. Um, and, I said, she, and I said, wow, amazing. So good to hear. And she said to me, but there's only one problem. I said, what? And he, she says, he doesn't speak English. And I said, what? How did he cry? What was he crying for? How did he understand what I was saying? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> But what I know that happened in that moment is that even though that guy didn't even speak English, the power of the Holy Spirit is real to set people free, to bring healing, to bring breakthrough. And there is power on the testimony to be released. The Bible says, Revelation 19.10, the, uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what has happened for one person can be done again. I just want to encourage people listening, whatever it is you're going through, it doesn't even have to be the area we've talked about, but take the testimony of what God has done in our lives, because in that is a seed of what he wants to do again in the lives of other people to free you, to set you free, so you can walk in, the, in a manner worthy of the price that God paid you to be, to live with true peace, true purpose inside of your heart, to live the most fulfilling life. Christian life, not rules and regulations, but the truth of the gospel with purpose, with power, having God as your friend, living free from the cares of this world and seeing people all around you touched by God. And so I want to encourage you today 
to receive this. And um, God bless you. Yeah, in Jesus' name. Dang, dude. I feel the presence of the Lord right now from that. That was really good. And you exceeded my expectations. Wow. That was powerful. I know that's going to touch a lot of lives. Thank you so much. I'll probably have you again. There's like another hour worth of stuff that I could talk to you about right now. And probably the more, <laughs> the more that I That'd get to know you. That'd be super fun. Yeah, so hopefully one day we'll get you back. Um, um, maybe in real life when I have two mics and your battery's not running out. We've been fighting against a dying battery this whole time. And his battery just died. But, man, he killed it. He got it in there. It was super dope. I loved it. That was one of the best ones. Like, that one felt free. And, and he didn't have to think much. It was just flowing. The more that I get to know the Lord, I can just tell that he's flowing with the Holy Spirit. In the anointing and just doing what he was created to do. Minister the Spirit of the Lord. So that's it. That was Aiden. <laughs> His battery did die. But I just wanted to, this, this one verse keeps popping up in my life, and it's so amazing to me. So I just wanted to leave with this. The Lord kept putting it on my heart, put it on my heart, and this is not something I ever do, so I'm just going to do it. Such a small verse, you know, one that I've never even thought about, one that I've never heard preached in the church. And uh, the Lord's just been showing me these small verses here and there. And this one's so intriguing to me because we all know the Pharisees in the Bible. We know that they were stark opponents to everything Jesus did. They didn't like Jesus. Not many of them anyways. And the ones that did were secretive about it, at least as far as we know in the Bible. I'm no scholar, so don't quote me on that. But I have seen the passion of the Christ, and I know that those Pharisees were not nice to Jesus. Needless to say that, because this is the Bible verse that's just been intriguing me. In John 12, 19, this is the NIV. So simple. It says, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This is after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, I'm pretty sure. And the people are screaming, Hosanna in the streets. I think this is the time. If I'm wrong, whatever, I'll read the Bible more and remember next time. It's just so awesome to me that the Pharisees even said to one another, and it's recorded in the Bible, look how the whole world has gone after Jesus. So every morning when I wake up, I remember that verse and I ask God, how can I pursue Jesus today? How can I pursue Jesus in this moment? How can I pursue Jesus before I get coffee? How can I pursue Jesus while I'm getting coffee? How can I pursue the Lord on my way to school? Because if the whole world's chasing after him and that's said by a Pharisee, then me, a modern day Christian, Sure as heck, better be chasing after him too. And that's all I got. I'm going to have Emily Johnson next week. She was the very first person I ever interviewed. Explosive revivalist. She actually spent a lot of time in on George Floyd Square, where George Floyd was killed over the summer in Minneapolis. She spent a lot of time doing ministry there and just seeing the power of Jesus, seeing actual revival, seeing baptisms, working with local pastors, even working with the police and, you know, the various sides. There was a lot more good news coming out of there than the news might tell you, uh, even more than the church. I saw a lot of people in our church going after each other, uh, and I'm not going to get into the politics of that, I think. You know, I had a conversation with some friends not long ago, and the thing to do for me is just to keep pursuing Jesus. So that's what I'm going to do. So I'm going to have Emily on. It's not a political thing. She's just going to talk about what she saw on the ground there in Minneapolis where George Floyd was killed. 
by that police officer. And it's going to be very interesting. I hope you'll join us. And I love you, and I don't even know you. Have a good night. I don't know where I would go without your hand leading me. I don't know if I would stay without your love anchoring each day. Because I am wild at heart. I need your love to chase me from the start. Oh, I me from the stars.